You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 32, Genesis chapter 32, and um, while you're doing that, I want to go back and do a little bit of review and just kind of um, maybe reiterate some of the things that we've been looking at. You know, we've been talking about um, the four steps to overcoming anxiety, worry. But I'll be honest with you, to me, it just kind of evolved into something that we as parents can teach our children. It just kind of evolved into something that you and I can use in life itself. And so let me begin. Let me begin with an illustration. I was, in fact, I jotted it down. And I don't know if this happened before we left on vacation. Uh, Jeffrey was telling me about it while we were on vacation. He's still uh, on, their, on their way back today. But uh, a nurse was, I, I believe, coming down 471. She was working, a nurse working in Brandon from Canton, uh, making her way home, 61-year-old woman. She was either coming to work or going home. Two young teenagers in a pickup truck, Ford F-150 um, veered over undoubtedly into her lane. It was a head-on collision, and it killed the 61-year-old woman. The 17-year-old um, was the law enforcement recognized the smell of alcohol. They tried to administer the um, test that they do. The teenager said that he had only had two beers, and ultimately it went on, but his blood level, alcohol level was up to the point of getting him into a lot of trouble. Though he's a 17-year-old, he will now be tried, as I understand, as an adult. So let me say, parent, your child, regardless of their age, you may consider them to be a minor, but if they commit the right crime, they will be tried as an adult, even at younger ages than 17. Somewhere along the way, this young man thought that as he got into that vehicle that evening with a friend, he never thought to himself that just a couple of beers, if it were a couple of beers, that it would make his ability to drive a vehicle um, incapacitated to the degree that that vehicle would become a weapon and it would take a 61-year-old woman's life. The reality is, is that If you and I are not careful, I titled this sermon, How to Keep Our Kids from Doing Stupid. Right? Because the reality is, is that for any one of us, I remember years ago, I came in, it was a Saturday morning, sat down at the dining room table. My dad leaned around across the table. My dad's got big hands, unusually big hands. He pointed toward me and he said, if I ever find a beer can in my car again, I will whip the snot out of you, son. I was a college student. He found in the bottom of his vehicle, Pap's Blue Ribbon, beer cans that had been left there. Um, he gave me the warning. I knew that he meant business. 
The reality is, is that in raising children, and let me say again for all young parents, all young parents, you're not there yet, so be careful how you're harsh and judgmental of others. Because you've not gone down those roads. You don't know what it is when your children start dating. You don't know what it is when they get their driver's license. You don't know how, how many stupid things they may do. I've done some stupid things. I hate to say this. My dad watches this. He may not even know this. But a friend of mine, Mike Ward, he had a Laguna S3. I don't know if you remember that vehicle back in the 70s. But he had that thing hot rotted up. It would fly. I remember one time on Highway 49, he and I and another young man, we were doing 147 miles an hour down the highway. Sheila and I, this past week on vacation, we went and we were looking around where I grew up, Titusville, Florida. And I was pointing out where we lived, stopped, went in, visited with this man. He now owned the home. He was retired Navy, had a great visit with him. But I showed Sheila the place where I nearly drowned. And I said, outside of a supernatural act of God, you and I would not be sitting here. We would not have four children, not have 16 grandchildren. Our lives would have been drastically different. Your life would have been because mine would have been over with at seven years of age because I did something stupid. I tried to follow a friend across a place called Coquina Pit when I did not know how to swim. How do you keep children from doing something stupid? How do you parent and raise children? And more so, how do you and I navigate life? Here's, there's some rules. Nick Trenton wrote a book called, he called it Stop Overthinking. It is a little small paperback, but it is an excellent book where he gives four words that I think are so biblical and so real that I want to share them with you. So, you know, um, let's read the scripture and then we'll review in Genesis chapter 32, everybody look this way real quickly. Isaac and Rebekah have two children. If you remember, Rebekah was pregnant. She had two children. They were so rambunctious in the womb that she went to God and said, God, what's going on? God said, there are two nations inside of you. They're warring against each other. They were Jacob and Esau. Remember? She gives birth, they grow up. Esau, he's a, he's, a, he's a redneck. He's just a country boy. He just drives his pickup or his camel or whatever. It does. You know, he's just the outdoor guy. And, and, and Jacob, he was a mama's boy. He kind of stayed close to home. They were swapping recipes. He watched, uh, he watched the cooking network. I mean, you know, they were as radical and different. Uh, Isaac tended to be pulled toward Esau. Rebekah tended to be pulled toward Jacob. And there was a lot of favoritism in this home. And if you remember, Jacob one day came time for the blessing. Isaac was old. Jacob, if you remember, Rebekah helped him. They hatched a plot for Jacob to steal the blessing. He had already stolen somewhat the birthright. Now he would receive the blessing from the father. He went in, camouflaged himself as his brother Esau. You remember, Isaac can't see well. When he, he tells him to go out and kill a, you know, a wild animal, he tells Esau, bring him back, cook it, and we'll celebrate and I'll bless you. 
Jacob comes in with something that he and Rebecca mama have hatched up. He comes in. He says that he's Esau. When, it, when his father says, who are you? Is that you, Jacob? He said, no, it's your son Esau. He steals the blessing, runs away, and in the end he gets with a guy that's a lot tougher than he is, his father-in-law Laban. And God breaks him. Now he's coming back to face his brother Esau, and when he comes back to face his brother Esau, he's afraid for his life because Esau told him, I will kill you when our father dies. He sends one of his servants ahead and he says, man, your brother's on his way with 400 troops. So Jacob gets all of his family together and he's at the Jabbok River and he sends them across the river. Now let's pick up Genesis chapter 32, verse 13. He spent the night there, that is Jacob, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. And it talks about all these gifts that he sends, and he, and he goes through all of that. Now, he's trying to pacify. If you look down at verse uh, 20, and be sure to say your servant Jacob. He keeps sending these servants with gifts to his brother Esau. Jacob is coming behind me, for he thought I will pacify Esau with these gifts I'm sending on ahead of him. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. Jacob, everybody look this way. His name meant liar, underhanded, deceiver. He's still trying to figure out how to get through life without, in his own terms. In verse 22, that night Jacob got up. He took his two wives, his two maidservants, his 11 sons. He crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man, and most theologians, most Old Testament scholars believe that he was wrestling with an angel or even the angel of the Lord. Jesus in a pre-incarnate form. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his socket, his hip, was wrenched as it wrestled from the man. Listen, everybody look this way. Doctors say to dislocate that takes a team of horses to do it. The angel of the Lord, this man takes his hip and pops it out. The Jew to this day does not eat the meat around the hip in commemoration to this moment right here. Then the man said, but Jake, uh, then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what? What is your name? And brother, when he asked that, Jacob immediately thought about the tent, thought about Isaac, thought about that moment when he lied to his father and he set this whole fiasco in motion. He's still not broken. The man asked him, what is your name? And he said, what did he answer? He asked him, answered Jacob. Everybody looked this way. You know what he was saying? He was saying, I'm a liar, I'm a deceiver, I'm underhanded, I'm a dishonest man. I manipulate, orchestrate, try to get things my own way, doing it my own way. I am, this is a moment of great repentance in Jacob. Now watch this. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. 
Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Penuel, saying it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun arose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his limp. Therefore, to this day, the Israelite does not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We give you all glory and honor. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, you can be seated. We, we basically said this, when you're raising children, and, and listen closely, when you're raising children, when you're raising up your kids, you have to teach them how they are to handle circumstances, situations that they may come in contact with as they're growing up. And we said this, you know, and even in our own life, sometimes you and I are in situations, we're in circumstances, job, school, relationship, or something where we, first of all, we said that first word that should immediately come to our mind is the word avoid. In other words, if I'm in a place where the Holy Spirit is sending red flags, I feel like, hey, something's not right here. This doesn't feel right. This relationship, this circumstance, this business, this job opportunity, this friendship, whatever it may be, something is causing me to feel like I need to run. You remember we talked about Joseph with Potiphar's wife. He needed, he, all he knew was to avoid. He, try, he ran for his life. You and I need to teach our children that in any circumstance, any situation they are in, when that happens in their heart, first of all, do I avoid this? Do I get up? Do I leave? Do I walk away? Some conversations you need to walk away from. I told Sheila last night, I said, Sheila, Sheila said, I'm not very good at confronting. I'm not very good. I'm not like you. I'm not quick. I said, listen, that has nothing to do with it. You may say, I'm not quick-witted. I'm not able to give that quick answer. I don't know what to say. This is what you say, and this is what I told my own wife. You look at that person and say, I do not agree this conversation is over with. If they press the conversation, you leave. There are some things we avoid, and we need to teach our children that, and there's some things we can alter. Remember, sometimes we can't avoid something. Sometimes we're in a relationship. Sometimes we're, we're already in a marriage. Sometimes we're already in a job. Sometimes we're in circumstances that there's nothing that we can do about it but simply ask the question, God, how can I be the salt, light, and yeast in this situation? What can I do here to change my environment? You see, you and I are a change agents. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. What was he saying? Any circumstance, any situation, any place we are, listen, we affect that environment. That environment does not affect us. We've been called to change, to alter. So, if, if, hey, first of all, there's some things I need to avoid. Some things I, that if I can't avoid them, then I have to recognize it's my opportunity to alter these circumstances, to change this office. I can bring the principles, spiritual principles, into this office, into this work environment, and change it. 
people will come to you and say, listen, I'm going through a problem. I'm going through a difficulty, my, I, and I need some help here. Would you help me? Now, the reality is, is that sometimes, sometimes you and I have been called to do that. We alter our circumstances. Sometimes we're called to, um, to accept. You know, we can't change the situation. We can't change the person. We're, we, hey, listen, do you ever, are you ever there? You just feel like you're just stuck. I'm just stuck here. And nothing I can do. Then we begin to ask the question. Now, I want you to listen to me closely. That's when we go to a sovereign God and we say, God, you're watching over me. You know with this relationship that I'm in that I can't get out of. It may be a parent with an adult child. You just simply say, you know, my adult child is just breaking my heart and there's nothing that I can do about it. They won't listen to me. Now, I want you to hear me. Sometimes you and I are in circumstances, situations, relationships to where we finally say there's nothing I can do, right? In those moments, we have to accept the situation. We have to say it is what it is. There's nothing I can do about it. But, God, what do you want me to see in this? God, what are you trying to let me see about myself? God, you put me in these circumstances, this situation, and maybe God didn't. Maybe these are some of the choices that you made and the consequences of that. But the reality is, is that you and I, it is what it is, right? We just have to accept it. And then we have to lean in close to Christ and we have to begin to say, God, now what are you trying to teach me? What is it that is being seen in my situation, in my life? Now let me tell you, here's the fourth one. And I'm going to tell you, stay with me because the illustration, the illustration is one of the most powerful illustrations I think I've ever used. The fourth one is we, we adapt. Now you may say, well, what is that? When we look at Genesis chapter 32, I had a friend of mine, I love him dearly. He puts up a devotion and he, he may listen to this eventually. And I love him dearly. He's a precious man. One of the sweetest, kindest, one of the most Christ-like men I know. But he, in his devotion, he had Genesis 32. Let me tell you, I'm protective of Genesis 32. It's, the, it's my life chapter. I don't have a life verse. It's my life chapter. Be, and he had down there, when Jacob left the Jabbok River, he was he was blessed. Man, boy, I had my phone out, boy, firing away. I said, the truth of the matter was, it wasn't a matter of him being blessed, it was a matter of him being broken. A.W. Tolzer said this, he said, I doubt God will use a man greatly, a woman greatly, until he breaks them deeply. You can't be used by God until God does to you what he does to a, a thoroughbred horse. He breaks him. He breaks that spirit, puts that bit in his mouth, rides him to the point that he can't simply shake him, and that was Jacob. Jacob was involved in a wrestling match with Jesus Christ, and Jesus said, you will not win, Jacob. Now, what is your name? And Jacob remembered the deception that began the whole plot of his life, all of the tragedy of his life. And when Jacob said, my name is Jacob, it was an act of repentance. He was saying, God, you know what I am. This is what I am. And God said, now you're ready. 
Sometimes in our life, and sometimes we have to teach our children, you can't avoid it. You can't alter it. You have to accept it. Now, I want everybody to listen closely. Because in accept, it is what it is. I can't do anything about it. God, what are you trying to teach me in this situation, this relationship, these circumstances that I'm in? God, what are you trying to teach me? Here's the fourth one. Because the reality is, you and I have to adapt. You say, what do you mean by that? We change ourselves to be better at life. In other words, what I mean by that, and I'm trying to find my notes here, but what I mean by that is this. We... Um, we adapt. I wrote this down. The writer said this. He said, we change. We adapt ourselves to better cope with life. We refuse to engage in depressing thoughts. We deliberately practice being optimistic. We simply finally say, God, you're sovereign. You have me here in this situation, in this relationship. There's nothing I can do about it. Now, God, what are you trying not to do? What are you trying to do in me? What do I need to see now that is going to change who I am? Make me a better person. How do I take these lessons, press them into my life, and find myself more conformed into the image of Christ? Does that make sense? That was Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Man, they were 14, 15 years old, plucked out of, out of Israel, out of Jerusalem, taken to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar tried to indoctrinate them into the Babylonian culture. Remember, it, it began with diet. All the Babylonians said was, you need to eat this diet of meat and wines and do this and, do that. and that diet. And you remember what Jacob, you remember what Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said? Said, we can't do that. We, we, we eat a kosher diet. You give us water, you give us vegetables, you give us fruit, and then you test us and see if we'll not be stronger, more alert, more intellectual, more knowledgeable, and better. And remember, they rose to that challenge. They lived according to the dictates of their, of their faith, and the outcome of that is, is that God blessed them, and God took Daniel and made him second to Nebuchadnezzar. The reality is, is that sometimes you and I can't change the situations that we're in. We're there. We're stuck. There's nothing we can do. Now we begin to ask God, what are you trying to change in me? And how do I need to change? What are you showing me? There's a scene in The Gladiator. And it, it, to me, it shook me as a dad. It shook me so much. But in this scene, Mar Marcus Aurelius, I believe, but this, the, the gladiator, the Spaniard, he's called the Spaniard. The emperor of Rome meets with the gladiator, meets with the Spaniard and says to him, They'll know, there will not be another emperor. In other words, I'm not going to turn my kingdom, Rome, over to my son. I'm turning it over to you, the gladiator. You're to lead Rome's army. You're to turn Rome back into a republic. And then he meets with his son. His son's spoiled and fickled. He's been entitled, empowered. He's a different kind of individual. And the old emperor, the old man, looks at his son and he said, Son, he said, um, 
Rome will no longer be under your rule. I'm not giving the kingdom over to you. Rome will return to a republic led by a republic form of government. It will be what it was meant to be. And his son is so upset and his son begins to cry and he says, you know, Father, I wasn't this, I wasn't that, but I was this and I was this and and this scene. And finally the father, this old man, drops to his knees and 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 he reaches up to his son and he says, son, your failure as a son was my failure as a father. And in that moment, the emperor's son then kills his own dad. The reality is is that sometimes life is not fair. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes circumstances. Sometimes they're the result of the poor choices that we've made. Uh, We got too consumed with other things and we failed to invest in a marriage. We failed to invest in our children or we 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 weren't financially wise or we we didn't, hey listen, we didn't hang on to our kids when they wanted to quit school. We wanted to be their friend. We just wanted them to be happy. Listen, God has not called you, Dad and Mom, to make your kids happy. He's called you to make them holy. And there's a big difference there. The reality is that sometimes it is what it is, isn't it? And sometimes we just have to look at our life and we finally have to say, God, what do you want to teach me? And that's what we teach our children. You can't avoid it. You can't alter it. You got to accept it. And you got to adapt. Which means this God, what are you showing in my life that you're trying to change? And I need you right now to show me that and give me the power to change that. Does that make sense? You see, because that's true. And, you know, I don't, um, I don't even have my phone or anything, so I don't know what time it is. Let me give you a good illustration of this. Hey, this will hurt. Some of you won't like this illustration. Let me tell you something. I don't mean to hurt anybody in this room or anybody that's watching. We were, we were down at Disney with Jeffrey and Megan and their boys. They had rented a house and we went to Disney for two days, and then Legend Alicia came down with their boys, and we then went to Universal and went to Universal Studios. Uh, I have motion sickness, you know. <laughs> Some of them rides they get to me. So Megan had Dramamine. I don't usually take it because it makes it makes you drowsy, and she convinced me that it was a non-drowsy Dramamine and that I would be all right. So I I navigated and did well on the rides. But there was one ride that they had these, you know, they lock you in like so many rides. And, um, and when they come by, they push that bar in to make sure that it locks secure because if you remember, there was a young African-American young man that fell to his death from one of those towers. The bar wasn't secured and he slipped out and he, and he plummeted to his death and it's live on video. You can still pull it up and see it. But anyway, what they do nowadays is what they do. They have the the ride, a a chair, and that bar, and everything set up out there for people to sit down to determine if they'll fit. And I watched this woman. 
She was heavy, extreme. She was a heavy woman. Young woman. Sheila made the statement she had beautiful hair. And I watched her, her husband and her son and her little girl. They were standing there and she would pull that bar down and she would try to lock it. And then she'd look and she'd go. She'd, you'd just see pain all over her because she wanted so bad to ride that ride with her family. She'd look at her family and she'd, she'd do just like that. She'd lift the bar up. She'd get ready to get out and the little girl would go, Mama, try again. Mama, just try again. So that mama would drop that bar back down. She'd try to lock it. She'd do everything. She'd move around. She'd scoot around. She would suck in as much as she could. She'd do everything that she could. She just simply couldn't get it to fasten. And you have to do that to get on the ride. She finally did her head like that, and you just see pain all over her face because she was a younger woman. And her husband just looked like he was just grieving. It was almost like it was a triumph if she could do it. So she got ready to get up. And again, her little girl said, Mom, please, Mom, just one more. And so that, and Mom sat back down, sat down again. She went, she moved, she did everything she could. She tried to lock that bar in place and nothing that she could do could get that bar down. And at this point, she looked like she was just out of embarrassment. She just looked like she was about to break out into tears and just start sobbing. And her husband said, come on, it's all right, it's all right. And I watched that scene. And I thought, you know, how often in our life, I want you to listen, we're faced with circumstances and situations that I want you to listen. God has not called us to be the salt, light, and yeast necessarily. God's not said, hey, listen, you're here to change that, the circumstances, the situation, the relationship, the educational process. You're not here to change them. They're there to change you. That's what I mean. You're not there to change your husband or your wife. You're not there to change your children. You're not there to change your job. You're not there to change your circumstances, your situation. You're not there to be the salt, light, and yeast because you're not where you need to be. And the reason God may have you there, may have me there, is that sometimes God is trying to change something in us. And what is He saying? He's saying you can't, you can't ride the ride of life. You can't do the will of God. You can't be in God's purpose and His plan. You can't do all that I want to do in your life because you're not in a condition right now for you to be able to do that. And God says, I put you in this circumstance, in this situation, with these problems because there's some things in your life that I have to remove and I can only do it in this. And for a parent, sometimes it is a painful process because when it's your own child, it grieves you to the depth of your soul and you wish you were dead. You're in a job you don't like, you don't like the boss, and God says, hey, listen, the boss is not the problem, the job's not the problem, the problem's in your own heart. You don't need to change the boss, and you don't need to change the job, and you don't need to change jobs, you need to deal with your, your ugly heart. You don't need to get out of the marriage, you need to realize that that marriage, that husband, that wife is a tool in the hand of a sovereign God in which he's hacking away at things that don't look like Jesus. 
The reality is most of us will never achieve greatness because we never have a life coach, a brutal voice of truth that says to us what we don't want to hear. I looked at somebody recently. I said, if I were counseling you, I would look at you at this point and tell you to shut up. But imagine, imagine in this scene, imagine in this moment. I told Sheila this. I said, imagine if all of a sudden, and I'm not ready, so y'all just stay where you are, but Imagine all of a sudden a nutritionist, maybe a physical therapist, maybe somebody who is, um, is skilled in the area of helping people learn how to eat, learn how to get their body. Imagine if there was a young man, a young woman who was watching this in just tears. And she gets up out of that ride and she walks over. She said, imagine a woman looked at her and said, Could, would you give me just a minute? Yes, I used to be where you are. Two years ago, she says, I tried to get on that ride. My husband, my son, my daughter were hoping that I could get on. I couldn't. I got up and I made myself a promise. God, it's not their responsibility. Now listen to me. God, it's not their responsibility to make the, the chair bigger. God, it's not their responsibility to change your ride. God, it's not their responsibility to close this down or shut it down because I don't fit. God, it's my responsibility to change my life so that I do fit. Because see, that's the way some of us are. We're so narcissistic. We think everybody else ought to fit. They ought to fit our dysfunctional view of the world. Right? So this physical therapist says, listen, uh, are you local? And she says, yes, I am. Would you mind if I took you? And let me tell you, in two weeks, you'll sit in that and be able to latch it. Because first of all, you got a lot of fluid. You're holding a lot of fluid, I can tell it. So we're going to get rid of the fluid first. We're going to get your weight down, and you'll be able to fit in that chair, but it's more than that. I want you to have a healthy lifestyle. I want you to learn what it is to live life and to enjoy it. I want two years from now for you to be helping somebody else because I used to be where you are. And one day I want you to help somebody. You see, you and I sometimes, the circumstances, situations, things are not working out. It is what it is. We can't, listen, we can't avoid it. We can't alter it. We can't change it. We begin to look. We can't, hey, listen, we have to accept it. And then finally we have to say, hey, wait a minute, God, what are you trying to teach me? What do I need to learn so that I can be a better wife, a better husband, a better mom, a better dad, a better employee, a better member of society? God, what are you trying to teach me? They don't need to change, you do. Did you hear that? And Jacob did. And God said, Jacob, you're ready. You're broken. You're self-aware. You know what self-awareness means? Self-awareness means you don't have to keep going, well, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Those people that they just seem to lack social graces. They don't know when to leave. 
you're yawning, you're looking at your watch, you turn and look at your husband or wife as if you're trapped. They're not going to leave. We've, all, we've used every social grace we know. They're just oblivious. They're not self-aware. I've even had to try to walk people to the car. Well, it's time to go. <laughs> hey, look, and now I'm, a lot, I'm not like Sheila. I'm not very nice about it. I just finally say, look, folks, we're going we're gonna to we have to call it a day because I've got to go to bed. Sometimes you and I need an outside voice in our life to make us aware and to make us aware of things that God needs to change, that He wants to change, that are robbing us of relationships and life. Jesus said what? He said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now and Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we love you. May we be raising children that even in the small, young ages, may we teach them this process to say to a little girl, to say to a little boy, to say to that, that little elementary age child, now remember this, there's going to be some times in your life when you're going to come to circumstances that you just need to avoid. You need to run. That 17-year-old needed to run from the two beers if it was two. He needed to run from the alcohol. He should have been home a lot earlier. Nick Saban tells the Alabama Crimson Tide, he said, nothing good happens after midnight. May every parent here, children do not come in after midnight. You've crossed the line. If, you don't, if you're not home by midnight, I'm going to come looking for you, me and the law, if we have to. May we teach children that some things can be avoided. Other things, you can't avoid them. You're, you're the salt, light, and yeast. You don't let your friends influence you, pull you down, drag you down. You're pulling them up. You're affecting your environment, whether it's a ball team, whether it's a classroom, whether it's a date, whatever it may be, and never date somebody you wouldn't marry. If they're not good enough to marry, then you don't need to date them. And if they're not a Christian, you need to run. Sometimes we can't, uh, sometimes we can't avoid, we can't alter. Sometimes we have to accept. And may we teach our children that sometimes it is what it is. You're going to be in a classroom with a teacher. You're going to be in a relationship, in a marriage that's not going to be everything that you want. You're going to be somewhere in a friendship, in a relationship that you can't get out of. It is what it is. You're going to have to take a job and you're going to have to make a living and it's not going to be the perfect job. You're not going to like it. And there's going to be things that you don't like about it. You're going to have to learn to be optimistic rather than pessimistic. You're going to have to see the glass half full rather than half empty. You're going to have to begin to look at that situation, that circumstance, that relationship, and say, God, it is what it is. Now show me what you're trying to change in me. And then fourth, we teach our children they need to learn to adapt. Sometimes nothing can be done. The only thing we can do is now look at a, that situation, that relationship, that circumstance, and begin to say, God, what do I need to see in me that is not Christ-like, that doesn't look like you? God, that I need to repent of a behavior, an attitude, a prejudice, an anger, a difficulty with alcohol, with addiction, with drugs, whatever it may be. 
Some children are alcoholics. Some children are caught up in alcohol because their parents were and are. Some kids smoke because mom and dad smoke. Some kids sleep around because mom and dad's dragging in one boyfriend after another, one girlfriend after another. Some of us, social media is killing our testimony and our witness to our own children. It's a tool of the enemy. So I pray, dear Lord, today that God, you get a hold of us. Now, everybody look this way. You think I'm just talking off the top of my head? TV's not in my bedroom. Roku's not in my bedroom because I can't handle it. It's in my office, sitting in the outside office. YouTube is not on my phone because I got to realizing they weren't sending nudity, but it was as close to nudity as you could get. So yesterday, me walking coach, I just clicked it and closed it out. You see, the man or woman of God is living to a level of holiness. You're not telling other people how to do it. You're not telling your children what they're going to do. You're modeling it before them. Don't tell your child not to drink when you're boozing it up. Don't tell your child not to be sexually promiscuous when you're sleeping around and they know it. Don't talk to your children about pornography when you're looking at porn. Don't talk to your children about morality and integrity and doing what is right no matter the cost when you're doing things at the office you know where you ought to be ashamed of. Some of us would do good to sit down with a child and say, your failure as a son, your failure as a, as a daughter was my failure to be the parent that God called me to be. Forgive me. And God, listen, he always listens to the prayer of repentance. Always. He'll never turn you away. He'll always listen. And God will begin to do. What will God do? God will turn your situation around, your circumstances in time if you turn them over to Him and you repent of your part in it. And let me tell you what He'll do. He'll raise you up to be a testimony and an influence in the lives of a multiplicity of people who are going through what you're going through right now. The woman looks at the woman who can't fit in the ride and says, I was where you are, but not anymore. And all God's people said, Amen. You come. You come today. If you don't know Christ, you come today. You give your life to Christ.